I like it spooky. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the I Like It Spooky podcast. I'm Brian. I'm Jason. I'm Clint. And this episode, we are joined in the studio by an honorary spooky boy. Everybody, please welcome back to the show, Mr. Brent Edgett. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Welcome back, welcome back. going on guys what's going on everybody thanks for having me back hey welcome back yeah, glad you could be here absolutely i'm actually i'm excited to talk about the the movie or i don't know movies that you chose for uh for this discussion but before we get into all that stuff let's get to the news All right, I've got something exciting for us here. Amazon recently bought out MGM. So with that, they're wanting to reboot, bring back some horror movies. Uh, They're talking about how Poltergeist is wanting to be reintroduced by Amazon Studios. Not sure how that's really going to go down because Steven Spielberg will have to be involved in some way. A lot of stuff's up in the air right now, so it's it's more rumors than it is news. We can kind of hope this is true. I love Poltergeist. I would take another one, especially with modern times, like what they can do with technology and super excited for that. What do you guys think about it? Uh, did anybody see the the remake? I'm a Poltergeist fan, but I didn't watch the remake. Was it any good? The silence tells me no, it was not that good. <laughs> wow. None of us watched it. I saw it, and now I'm trying to like think about it. Because I watched like, you know, one and two quite a bit. I, I saw the remake when it first came out, but... Obviously nothing stood out, huh? <laughs> I always wonder how like these are going to go. Back in the 80s, the little girl gets stuck in the TV and nobody can fucking do anything about it. Now you got to worry about her getting stuck in the TV, cell phone, the tablet, the Amazon Echo, the Blink, every fucking item in your house you have to worry about. More ways to find her. Uh, I, or not find her. I was just going to say, I guess it'd be easier <laughs> to find her. <laughs> her last. We finally get into the tablet and she's over in the smartphone over here. Son of a bitch. Carol Ann, <laughs> I told you kids that that tablet was going to be the death of you. damn kids you know what i wonder is you know the last episode when uh we interviewed tom and chuck from valentine bluffs we joked a lot about the curse of the minor now that you're talking about poltergeist you know there's the curse of poltergeist you know all the the weird stuff that surrounded the making of the first three films see i don't know if i was a director i might want to just stay the hell away from that property (laughs) i didn't even think about that though and that's old hopefully you never know, though, what's going to happen with any movie. I mean, hell, people still die on movies nowadays, like Deadpool, like a few years ago, one of the stunt coordinators. It, I mean, it happens. I thought you were going to talk about Alec Baldwin, and I was going to go, uh, maybe too soon. Brian, what do you got for news? So you can get a personalized phone call from Ghostface. A couple issues here. It comes from like a spam number. So like everybody's like, I'm not picking it up. I did it the other day at Tumbling. I take Finley to Tumbling and I put it all in and had it call Tiffany. And I was like, did you have a missed call? She's like, yeah. I was like, answer the phone next time they call. She's like, why? I was like, just do it. And I was like, did you answer? And she's like, you're an idiot. And I was like, what? 
So I had, I called Tiffany, I called my son. So you go into the website, you put like their name in um, and you put their phone number in and it calls from like a random number and it's Ghostface. It's like a 30 second phone call. I did it too. It's, it's fun. I mean, it's, you know, it's fun. I'm in another group chat with a bunch of horror people and my buddy Tad, who's a friend of the show, he said one year he put his dad's phone number into this website for like people that sell alpacas and they called to sell him alpacas. Like he said he was going to do it to his dad, but I don't know if his dad ever answered. He never said, but I'm just like, what the fuck? We had fun with it. I did it too. I did it to my daughter's phone. I didn't tell her what I was doing. And then she wanted to prank her friend, which is it was hilarious because we did it and she actually answered the phone and then like 10 seconds later she gets a uh, FaceTime she's like I'm home alone I'm really scared somebody creepy just called my phone <laughs> <laughs> she, she was straight terrified and my daughter was ruthless she didn't let on that it was like a prank and then she called her back and then she had googled the number she was like it was the ghost face number <laughs> it just oh it was so fun was it at least better than the old recordings like from when we were kids, like when your mom would be like, oh, someone's calling for you. And it's like a bad recording of like Santa Claus or something trying to talk to you. <laughs> it was it was it changed it up a couple of times. I heard a couple of different ones. We did it several times. It's like, I'm going to give you 10 seconds. So run. It was just it was fun. <laughs> nice. Was it actually the guy? I don't think it was Roger Jackson. I think it was a knockoff. At least it sounded like it to me. Did you guys? Did you guys listen to it, Clint, at all? Uh, I haven't done it yet. I, I still want to because I was going to fuck with my ex girlfriend because she just recently moved into an apartment complex. No, this is a crazy story. So the uh, the gentleman living in the apartment next to her died and was there for like two weeks or something, and no one knew it. And the only reason they found out was all the apartments started to smell, and so like now she can't get the smell out of her apartment. And now now like her other neighbor, she said is like. They haven't seen from her in a couple of weeks. And so I thought this, I should do this. This would be hilarious with all this going on with her. And then she gets this phone call, like, you know, whatever it says, you know, do you like scary movies? <laughs> so I haven't yet. I might though. I had fun with it. Well, now we're not going to be able to prank anybody because now they're going to know what we're up to. Damn it. So I got a couple things in the news. One, I'm just going to mention a quick blur because when I read through the article, it really didn't give me any information. It was just kind of a recycling of the movies. I'll just read the title. So there is a new Nightmare on Elm Street movie pitch teased by Hill House creator. The Haunting of Hill House creator Mike Flanagan teases he has a pitch for a new Nightmare on Elm Street film, but doesn't know who to go to. That's it. And then if you read through the article, it's just a recycling of Nightmare on Elm Street information. So, you know, the, what was it, 2010 remake came out and I think it was kind of a flop because it's really hard to replace Robert England um, as Freddy Krueger. I mean, he made that character. But with all the new, we just talked about Poltergeist and there's new Friday the 13th stuff coming out, new Hellraiser stuff, all these, um, you know, Valentine Bluffs came out. There's all these um, reinventions and revisits to these established franchises, Friday or a Nightmare on Elm Street doesn't get mentioned a whole lot beside a, a fan film that's coming out. So this might be interesting. What do you guys think? I'm super excited. This is the first I've heard about it. I'm a big Mike Flanagan fan. Him getting it and hopefully doing something cool with it. I know that's kind of hollowed ground to go into some more Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, being one of the classics. I would love to see his spin on it. Hopefully some studio will take it. You know, I'm a big Blumhouse fan. They do a lot with horror. Maybe they could kind of team up and do something. 
it's just got to get into the right hands because, uh, of course, anyone who gets hired for the job, like the remake, everyone's going to be like, oh, yeah, I'm a huge Nightmare on Elm Street fan. It's like, yeah, everyone will say that if they're trying to get the job or whatever, especially in big name Hollywood. But if the right hands get on it, that is like potential for an amazing franchise. But, you know, you can't think, I mean, it's got to be not so independent because really good effects, you know, in the dream world are going to have to come of it, you know. So it's, it's I don't know, again, kind of like Poltergeist. It's like, well, just how, you know, it's very delicate to where you want the right people to get on it, but then you want them to be able to, you know, have what the what they need to make it what it needs to be. Mike Flanagan took a shot at the Shining sequel with Dr. Sleep. I thought he did a fantastic job at it. That was amazing. There was story there, though. That I mean, you got to give a lot of thanks to Stephen King, though, for the story being there. So but one of the issues that Jason and I have talked about in the past is when you went to flashback and you were like, oh, do I get Robert England's autograph? Do I? Don't I? I was like, he is the one guy, the one actor who has been Freddy Krueger the whole time. I mean, there was the remake, which I've never even seen, so I don't know if it was good or bad, but he's the one guy. Several people have played Michael Myers. Several people have played Jason Voorhees. This is the one guy that's played this character, the whole franchise. So you ca- he's so iconic, and that's the issue they're going to have is how do you replace Robert England? I mean, do you go younger? Do you go older? Do you, where do you fit this in the story? Probably the best thing since the movie series has come out is the Goldbergs. You guys watch? You ever seen that show? I, I've seen it, but yeah. It was like on ABC. They did an episode of the Goldbergs where the son, who's the main character, what had a dream and Robert England and Freddy Krueger was like in his dream. He had always said, I'm never going to do it again. And somehow they got him to come back and do this episode of the show. I don't know if they'd be able to get him to come back again, but that was a great episode because you had Bev Beverly. There it was like Beverly versus Freddy Krueger. That was kind of cool. That was fun to watch. I do have something to say, you know, if anyone's watched the stranger things, obviously they just did a whole other version of Freddy Krueger with Vecna and stranger things. And it was, it was taken very well. It was done very well. And every second, of seeing it, I was thinking this is like Freddy Krueger shit right here. You know, they definitely stole some of the fire, but they showed potential that telling that story in a good, really good kind of way, it, you know, it still can be done. Definitely. Yeah. I think putting the name Freddy Krueger and putting the sweater on somebody, that's when it becomes sacred and special because they just totally remade a Freddy Krueger on his own right and everyone just fucking loved him. I guess we all forget the basis of it is whatever the demons were that gave him those powers. So you don't need Freddy Krueger per se. You could give those powers to anybody. You could strip him of those powers. You could say, hey, you're old and weak and you've been this monster for... Yeah, you fucked up how many times? Yeah, time to give it to someone else. There was all the talk a few years ago about Kevin Bacon reprising the role. I think I think that would be fun to see. I think he, he said he was interested in it, unless I'm hearing fake stories on the internet, which, you know, that's that's not possible. I think the older he gets, the better he's going to be for it. Don't mind waiting. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, you, you took that right from my head. I was getting ready to say the same thing. You know, they get into the, the demons there. They give Freddy his power. So, I mean, we could see a new Nightmare on Elm Street. And who knows? Maybe, you know, Corey from Halloween Ends could be the new Freddy Krueger. <laughs> Thank you for laughing. I was, so, I was hoping no one thought I was being serious. Okay. So uh, I do have one more news story that I wanted to touch on. And this is interesting as well. But uh, real quick, I wanted to say about what we were just talking about. I did not know that Mike Flanagan did Dr. Sleep. And I love that movie. And I love Haunting a Hill House. I wasn't a big fan of Haunting a Bly House, I think it was. But it would be interesting to see someone like him take on Nightmare on Elm Street and give it a more, I almost want to say, intimate, creepy, atmospheric 
more dramatic uh, approach. It might be interesting to see. We'll start getting all the comparisons to him and Rob Zombie, like taking it over and putting his wife and everything. Did you guys see uh, Midnight Mass on Netflix? That was another Flanagan show. No, I didn't. Super good show. Yeah, you should check it out. Yeah, you want to check that out. I recommend it. Yeah. Yep. That's the with Christian Bale or is that something else? The Christian Bale thing was a uh, pale blue eye. That was really good. So another news story I found reported in Bloody Disgusting is more video game stuff. Dead by Daylight horror movie in the works from Bloomhouse and James Wan. I, I can't imagine, again, James Wan is more, to me, I think supernatural. I think creepy, creepy atmospheric. I can't picture him doing Dead by Daylight, but we it looks like we are going to see Dead by Daylight on the big screen. I'm not going to see shit on the big screen if it ain't better than the video game. <laughs> I agree, man. I, was, I tried playing the game, and I just couldn't get into it. It was fun to play the different characters, but... Yeah, I don't know the whole story about it. Like, Are they just going to make a story with all the creepy-ass people? it's that's up in the air because yeah you have to deal with the potential of a lot of different killers if to call it dead by daylight you know and then typical slasher escape movie which i mean i feel like rob zombies 31 was like you know uh dead by dawn or dead by daylight like in, in its truest form in a movie form i feel like 31 was the only thing that came close to that yeah and reading through this article there's really not any information as far as the direction of the film it's just kind of talking about the fact that they want to do it does say james wan added in his own statement shared by variety quote in dead by daylight the behavior team has created a love letter to the world of horror building an incredible environment teeming with atmosphere and terrifying villains perfect for a scary cinematic adaption it sounds like uh it's just buzz right now but whether you're fans of it or not, it's a, a big game. It's a, you know got a following. And I think if they come out with a movie, they are going to make more money than we have because, I don't know, I, I think we're kind of poor. I'm going to tell you why I'm um, Brian's so poor. He said, fuck it. I'm just leaving. He's, he's like, I'm out. Like, <laughs> I don't know if anybody knows, but I'm a big Halloween fan. <laughs> I love collecting stuff from Halloween, but Jamie Lee Curtis recently went on Instagram uh, promoting for her charity. Uh, My hand in yours. I think that's what it is. Uh, she was going to sign autographed pictures of Lori Strode and even personalize them and sell them 100% proceeds to charity. So, I mean, I kind of had to jump on it. I really wanted a Lori Strode autograph or Jamie Lee Curtis autograph. You can have her inscribe whatever you wanted up to like 50 characters, which I think was great. So she was going to do them herself. So I ordered one of those. I'm super excited. It was only one image. It was a picture of just her as older Lori Strode from the new trilogy. Which that was okay. I wish it would have had a choice of different pictures, but I, you know, I grabbed one of those. Um, I put the inscription. I wanted to be like unique, and I put it was the boogeyman, like question mark at the end of like the seventy-eight one when she asked the question. And I know it's like older Laurie Strode now, but I was like, oh, it's still fun. I just wanted something a little different. So I'm hopefully in the next few weeks I'll have my first Jamie Lee Curtis autograph to hang on my shrine to Halloween. That's all I got, though. I think. You wanted to be really uh, special. You could have had her right. Fuck that Corey kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, see, now that would have been good. Damn it. No, oh, well, I think it's still available. I could order another one, but you know, I didn't even tell my wife I ordered it. So, but I'm, I'm going to really talk about the charity part of it. <laughs> yeah, Children's Hospital of California. Doing it for the kids. 
I was wondering, can you still, can you write that off on your taxes? Like, is that a charitable donation, even though you're getting something? I think so. You call Sopranos Tax Service, they can write off anything. <laughs> <laughs> that that little bit's not going to help my taxes at all anyway, but yeah, that's all I got this week. Jason, I gave you a reason to be poor. Did you see the link I sent you where, uh, I forget the actress's name right now, the actress who played the nurse in Halloween Part 2, you know, she was the serious charge nurse where she uh, is looking for open bookings for conventions. Oh, I did not see that. You know, it was just um, something from her rep looking to book her at conventions, which I thought was interesting because I've never seen her at a convention. I think that'd be a, a fun person to meet. And I love how conventions are really starting to dive into the um, the outer ripples of these films. We're going to give our money to get autographs from cool people from these movies. I got plenty of money to gonna be spent this year at all these conventions starting next month. Hey, Brian. Yeah. Did you get anything cool? I ain't get nothing. No, huh? no, I did. Hey, Clint, you got anything cool? I do, but <laughs> judging by the giant smile on Brian's face and the, the, the mute icon on his screen, I don't know if we can hear from him anyway. So No, I'm unmuted. <laughs> oh, that's Brent. Okay, go ahead. So uh, one of the first things I picked up in the last couple of weeks was My Bloody Valentine on cassette. Terror Vision here, cool outsides, red cassette. Oh, cool. I have to find a cassette player somewhere. I'm sure I got one somewhere. How many of those did you grab? Three. (laughs) He loves us. I hope you didn't open mine like you just opened yours. (laughs) They all were open. They didn't come sealed. Oh, yeah. Good God. Yeah, they didn't come sealed. Send it back. (laughs) One for me. I'm such a hater with my bloody Valentine. Anytime I see something of it, I want to buy. I grab it. I look at it. I want to buy it. But if I do not see the words "director's cut" on it, I'm just like, eh, because that director's <laughs> cut is just so much flipping better. And I've seen the original cut like way after I've seen the director's cut like many, many times. I saw the theatrical or whatever, and I was I was pretty harsh, man. I was pretty disappointed. I was like, damn, they really cut so much of this movie out. So I, I really just can't unless they have that director's cut on it. I just don't want to put money towards the original one. I agree a thousand percent. But you know, the other thing about that is it's hard to to turn down my bloody Valentine merchandise because you you don't see a lot of it. You're starting to. Well, yeah, the merch is cool. But like when you go to Walmart and they have the cool sleeve for the DVD, it's like, oh, it's a new release of it. It's just like director's cut. Nah, I could pass on this. You know, it's not that cool. Let's see. What else did I get? Oh, vinegar syndrome. Yeah. Clint loves these because he likes to look at the artwork. So we got bio zombie. Pretty, very pretty. Hard case. Not much on the back. I like the pretty colors. And then there's the back of it. <laughs> Goodbye, 20th century. I have no idea what this is about. It looks kind of c- cyborg. Yeah, Mad Max kind of. And the Demonsville Terror looks like something that would be preparing on Tubi next week. You, you know, Brian, I know you talked about this a lot, but I got to ask again. Subscriptions like this, the stuff you're showing us, these films from Vinegar Syndrome that sends you this, right? Do you choose these or is it just you subscribe so they send you whatever the hell they want? Yeah, whatever they put out that month um, as their new releases, you get those. They got me with Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 last year. I was like, ugh. Oh, and The Incredible Melting Man. Both those were like announced as 4K releases last year, and I'm like, okay, you got me. And this year, they got me because it was like a week-long thing in January was the only time you could sign up. And being a subscriber from last year, I got a coupon for a hundred bucks off. You don't pay for shipping, you know, and the their slipcovers are pretty and there's good resale value on some of them. 
I mean, if I ever wanted to sell the slips, I could probably sell the slips and make my money back in a couple of years. And you get all the releases, right? You get all of their like mainstream releases. So I didn't get like Roadhouse. So there's usually like four or five things they put out a month. There's like their Pico-Rama, which is like their exploitation kind of nudie cutie stuff. You don't get that. And then you don't get some of the other stuff. But there's a, like every couple months, there's a box set in there. The ones that are like in hard cases other than in the sleeve. Horror Hound, went and picked that up. Got Nosferatu on the front. This is the big one. Scream Magazine. Out of the United Kingdom. This is like bigger than, it's a hundred pages. It's like bigger than all the other ones. I get this one because Brian Clark, who is a friend of the show, he writes for them and gets his stuff put in every couple magazines. He's the one that did the John Carpenter um, interview in the last magazine that I picked up. Local bookshop has ordered it for me. I was like, can you get Scream Magazine? They're like, we'll check into it. And then they call and said, we got magazines in for you. I go down a couple days later and that's in the pile. And I'm like, great. Last thing, Neon Maniacs from Terrorvision with a nice little extra artwork on the back. I'm not going to pull it out because it's a pain in the ass to get it back in this sleeve, but their stuff's just beautiful. If you go over to the YouTube channel, you can see that I've already shared a video of it. Their stuff's great. I love it. And again, I don't know what I'm going to get from them. They announced a couple of their titles for their subscription. I don't know. I knew Neon Maniacs is one of them. All I got. I hope they're going to be at Flashback again this year. That's where we kind of like met them and ran into them and kind of stumbled on them because you were looking through the records and you're like, oh, they got a strange behavior record over here. I'm like, what? No, they don't. And you're like, yeah. I went over and checked it out. And of course I bought it. Now it looks like our friend Justin Beam is working with them because he posted something the other day that said coming soon. And it was just like a still from a movie and Terrorvision shared the same things. I know he's worked on some of their other releases, nor not Norway. I I'd have to look. And yeah, Norway. Was it Norway that he worked on? That was like a vampire movie. Yeah, I, I couldn't remember if that was one of the ones he worked. He's working with them. So we haven't got Lene Quigley's horror workout yet, but that's on the list of things coming soon. Clint's excited for that. Well, I am because we're getting into spring. I got some pounds I got to work off, so I need some motivation. <laughs> well, uh, so so Brent's an honorary spooky boy this episode, so we're not going to ask him to disclose his financial records. But I do have a question. Um, you know, it, it does cost money to go to conventions and travel and get hotels. Do you uh, you got any conventions coming up here soon, Brent, that you might be uh, traveling to? Well, actually, um, just talk, talked to Chuck Ryan yesterday. Yesterday, we're already making plans for flashback. That's obviously going to be the big one again. We're talking about hotel rooms. We're talking about like bringing people on board. We're just really setting up for it. It's going to be a good time because I think we're always looking forward to that show every year. I might try to make a Days of the Dead. I'm trying to save. I really am because I, I hate missing all these conventions. So definitely want to make it out to any of the Chicago ones anyway. Uh, later this year should should be fingers crossed that midwest monster fest all goes through and i'll be able to check that out because i i like that one just because it's more out this way and you just get slightly different crowd you know you still get like main people but then you also get a different group of people where chicago you always get like just so many incredible people in one gathering it's amazing well yeah and i love the rust belt i love the venue the rust belt there in uh in the quad cities that was a great building to use it's pretty dope i haven't bought anything this week but i'm still poor do you want to know why why is that? Okay, so I, I bought something. It wasn't a collectible, but you know, I mentioned the uh, the ex-girlfriend earlier in the episode. So when she moved out, she took the couch downstairs because it was hers. I'm not mad at her, but it's like it was this cool, nice, big wraparound couch. And it's where my giant screen TV is and all my collectibles. And so I'm like, you know, sitting in a little beanbag watching, you know, Roseblood for the 50th time on the big TV downstairs. So I went out and bought myself a couch. I got a nice new couch downstairs. And I think that's worth mentioning because... 
in the collectible room. So I have a collectible couch. You know, I leave everything in the box, so it's got plastic slip covers. <laughs> right. Just like grandma's old house. I even left the cardboard on the corners, you know, from when it was delivered. The plastic straps are still there. They're like seat belts, so you don't fall off. You never know. You might need to return it. <laughs> Maybe. Brian and I will be there next month. We'll help. We'll help you open it up. Well, that's why I left the plastic straps. I'm going to open everything when I'm down there. <laughs> You know, I thought about that, and when you when you guys come up for uh, they're gonna, they're gonna come up, Brent, to uh, they're gonna go to Motor City Legacy with me here in Detroit, and uh, so actually, guys, I think I'm gonna have you sleep upstairs in my room, and I'm gonna sleep downstairs near the collectibles <laughs> on the new couch, yeah, <laughs> uh, with the shotgun in the hand. Right. <laughs> Every time you guys try to go touch some of my stuff and Jason tries to open some of my boxes, he's gonna get shocked. I'm gonna have a little remote around the corner. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to bring my box cutter with me. <laughs> it, it sounds like I'm going to have to uh, hire some actual security when you guys are here, and that's going to cost some money, but <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll take it to a sponsor. Ladies and gentlemen, if you are easily frightened, we advise you not to watch this film. First it was color. Then sound. Then 3D and Cinemascope. Now, the most exciting new storytelling technique in film history. Severin Films. Severin Films is an American film production and distribution company known for restoring and releasing cult films on DVD and Blu-ray. You've never seen anything like it before. SevernFilms.com So now that we've heard from our sponsor, let's get to our discussion of several movies. What are we discussing this week? In one brief moment, within the span of a heartbeat... Your world could stop. There is no way to predict when you will become one of them. For the first time in cinema history, the greatest fear of all mankind will be graphically exposed. Now, a motion picture dares to take you beyond the threshold of the living, where you may discover your own face of death. Brent's a guest, and so I uh, sent Brent a message and said, you want to be in the show? He says, absolutely. And I said, cool, you're the guest, pick a movie. And then Brent starts throwing all of these movies at me. Him being a guest, I didn't want to say, well, no. So I said, you know what? I said, let's do all of them. Because Brent's selections kind of tied into how we closed out our, our last discussion with Brent when we interviewed him a few episodes back. And we we kind of got off and we were talking about, quote unquote, shock cinema and you know things that maybe some people think you shouldn't watch with your kids or whatever compose the list and this discussion is going to take us down the trail of shock cinema do you guys have a, a better way to categorize that no i like that term i like it exploitation sexploitation when you throw some of these movies on it's like i thought this was a horror movie not a porno and you're like it's both welcome to the world of <laughs> movies yeah, right. <laughs> of like early 80s cinema where they just wanted to exploit kind of women so to speak you know it can you know when you watch it 
Because you're just like, I don't know if like nudity is completely necessary, but there it is. You know, it's like right on. There's that weird transformation in there. If you go from like 70s horror, like zombie stuff. Stuff, the jungle stuff where in every movie they cut off someone's dick <laughs> like <laughs> to where it's just all boobs in the 80s in america so when we were formulating this idea i started doing i pulled out my old psychotronic video guide and i started kind of doing some research i wrote down a list of movies and i kind of put them in order of date and i know everybody's going to have their own flicks they want to toss in it's not like this is a definitive thing but one thing that can't be denied is um as far as i'm concerned this all stems from from mondo movies and so i did some research and i got this blurb from the psychotronic video guide and uh, it says the history of documentary films designed to shock viewers goes back to at least 1903 when edison released an execution by hanging and electrocution of an elephant documentaries showing strange cultures were popular major releases in the 20s some were more studious and honest than others but many were partially or totally fake exploitation movies features showing naked natives blood and violence were road showed road show adults only staples for years some were called guna guna movies in the trade that's weird in the early 60s the italian movie mondo kane created worldwide sensation and many copies were released by the 70s some of these mondo movies have become extremely shocking and disturbing these days many of these features are on tape and many more are made just for video release I thought that was cool that it actually, I thought it started with Mondo, but it goes back to, to Edison in 1903. That's wild. They were having fun with that electricity when they first got it going. <laughs> <laughs> Elephants. Jesus. What else can we do? Yeah. Get your camera. <laughs> <laughs> and it makes me think, did you guys watch the movie? Um, I'm forgetting the name now. Well, I screwed that one up, but it was... Um, <laughs> It was, uh, oh, if I can remember it, it'd be awesome. But anyway, it was on Hulu and it was about um, like the traveling circus and, um, you know, in the late 1800s. I'll have to look it up after I get done talking here, which will take a while, according to Brent, because I like to talk a lot. I'm just messing with it. But it made me think, does it go back even farther? Because you think about that in the 1800s, you had these traveling circuses and people would show up to see the geek and the freak show and, and all this crazy stuff. Nightmare Alley, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, I would imagine since the beginning of mankind that this kind of shocks stuff. Um, that's what the freak show was. I mean, you would take that from town to town and show people stuff that they weren't used to seeing in their town. Lobster boy or somebody putting nails through their nose or the strength man or the bearded lady. Because people paid to want to see it. Definitely. And it had always had that kind of underlying taboo to it. So I would imagine there was stuff that people were doing even before that. The gladiators. I mean, you think about that. That was shock cinema. You put a bunch of people in a ring in a coliseum and you let lions out and have them kill each other. And people are going ape shit watching it. You know, and that was back then that was normal stuff to them. So it goes back probably, I mean, to the time of Jesus even. I mean, how many people showed up when they would put people up on a cross and or would throw rocks or stone people? I mean, yeah, I would imagine most people showed up to watch and to stone a little bit of both. Yeah, and to participate. Yeah, the, the, mad, the truly mad ones would want to participate, but it seemed like everyone wanted to watch. Yeah. Well, and I was going to say with the 
with the, the stoning and Brent just said everybody wanted to participate and watch and the gladiator days I almost think that stuff was probably more mainstream everybody wanted to be a part of it but then when you get into the traveling freak shows and then kind of segueing in, into these the shock cinema stuff it's almost the dirty little secret it's the things that you don't necessarily want people to know that you enjoy watching and now we're getting into the fetishes so honestly with uh when we guys came up with this idea I'm very much a rookie in this i i don't i don't know any of the mondo movies i haven't gotten into those uh trying to study for this i didn't want to just start watching some of the movies so i watched some videos about the history of the cinema so that's kind of like where i went in with this and now being you know almost a 45 year old man i don't want to watch that stuff now we we just went a few weeks ago down to a, a bar where they were showing a movie and I was like, oh, well, that's kind of uncalled for. <laughs> like some of the shit they were doing. What were we watching, Brian? Eating Alive. Eating Alive. Yeah. I was like, oh, <laughs> okay. Why are they showing that? It, it was real. It was really weird. But I remember, you know, back in the days, I would be more into it, like the Faces of Death type stuff. So like all the Mondo stuff, I'm, I'm excited because I'm going to learn from you guys and learn about some of this stuff because I don't know much about it, honestly. Was that at the Rocks there that Jason Whitmarsh hosted? The Yeah, yeah, the Ross Talks, yep. So we watched Eating Alive and, God, what was the other movie? Can't even remember. Oh, I left. Yeah, you left. <laughs> he, he made it through the first movie. He's like, I'm going to go home. I've seen enough. They did cut off somebody's wing. They are, they're hard to watch and they're, they're harder to watch the older you get and you're coming from experience as well i remember i was just like ready to dive into those movies back in the day but it could also be that after i don't know jason you're probably seeing them for the first time even seeing them and having this list come up in front of me again it's like okay let's go back and watch a few of these <laughs> and i own a lot of them but a lot of them i don't and you know it's there's only a couple that like really trip the trigger where it's just like dude I don't want to be watching this. I mean, yeah, it's it's crazy that they were they were making them. There was definitely an audience for it, and it branches off in the realism. But then they transitioned into, I don't know, I guess more mainstream is when it became. I mean, because Mondo was still just kind of underground, but then once they started getting back into these main movies, big productions, so to speak more people were seeing them and it was just becoming more of a more of a thing to where it wasn't even setting off fetishes but it was just people seeing them and they couldn't believe what they watched so then they'd hand the tape over to their next friend and be like dude yeah just you know when you ain't got nothing to do some night just watch this just prepare yourself and yada yada and that's you know word to mouth becoming available on mainstream distribution like that i guess a lot more people were able to see it that's the part of it that interests me is, yeah, when you start with Mondo in 62 and Mondo had like nine or 10 movies from 62 through 87. But as you got to the late 60s into the 70s, that type of cinema, shock cinema, almost got domesticated and then put into that's when you started getting like Last House on the Left and Faces of Death and I Spit on Your Grave. And so these these taboo things were I don't want to say watered down because, you know, like I spit on your grave is some heavy, heavy stuff. It wasn't just watching people be decapitated and babies eaten alive and, uh, you know, all that crazy stuff. It was domesticated into. Yeah, it's telling a story. Everyone loves a good story gonna say i mean we were talking about shock cinema but even in the early days as early as a uh, last house on the left came out that wasn't even so much a shock cinema as it was to real you know and that's that's the that's like the one right there where it's like you're watching it and it's almost pretty much a documentary it's not just shocking because it is it affects you in the shocking way but it's also like realistic as crap you know that very well could have happened right right before your eyes you know it happens dare i say all the time you know shockingly 
just right at the beginning there, they were right at that adaptation of like realistic, but then it's just, you know, this is just how life is real as opposed to making like big, big and beyond characters, you know, to, to be pulling off these things like yeah, zombies or, you know, Holocaust cannibals or anything like that. Well, and you're talking about last house on the left uh, was at 1972 from Wes Craven and Sean Cunningham. And I think one of the things that makes that unnerving and, and brutal is the extended scenes of the torture and the, the rape of the young girls by the lake. And you get to see that these crazed killers, you know, they're, they're not, they're just kind of everyday people. They're not some weird mutant monster. Like you say, they're not zombies and you get to see that they are actually enjoying what they're doing. And it, yeah, it's very unsettling because they take the time to show you all this crazy stuff. Right. There is a part in that movie, too. After they did what after they did what they did, you see that they're very much human because they take that second to kind of they're just standing there almost in disgust. You know what they just did? It's like something came out of them to where they did it. But after they did it, it's just kind of like, well, that was kind of messed up, wasn't it? You know, and they even take the second to do that, which even put it even more in the world of reality to where. You know, human beings can do this to one another and then just kind of get over it. You know, it's like, you know, they're feeling a little something because I don't think you could ever escape what, you know, hurting another person to, I don't know. I just, that movie was interesting because I watched it. I was shocked by it, but then I watched the special features of it. And that ended up becoming like one of my all-time favorites because of just, I found out that the guy who was playing the villain, David Hess is the actor's name. He, uh, Krug, you know, early West Craven, Krug was the character. He did the music for that movie. And you go back and watch the behind the scenes and see that they are just actors and just, you know, chit chatty and just normal people. It just, okay. You realize that this is not like you weren't just watching some documentary, some, something real. It's like, this was all planned. It's all actors, you know, it lets you breathe a breath of relief there because it's not just, you know, it's not a stuff film where you like just witness this happen. You know, it's actually actors and people just doing their talents. You know, it's interesting. Absolutely. And that's kind of what I was saying is it's almost like uh, the shock cinema has been domesticated through the years because you're allowed to go to that edge and maybe even start to teeter over and then come back. It's almost like going to a haunted house. You you get that release, but you know it's safe and then you can go on. I, th I think it shows to what Brian has said before. And, um, you know, Brian's been has said I'm paraphrasing, but talking about like Cannibal Holocaust and, and those early Mondo movies and even getting into Faces of Death and stuff. And there's the one movie you talked about, Brian, I forget the name, where they show the uh, autopsy of children and you find out that it was real. That even though those things um, sometimes may not be tasteful and they're they're very controversial, they're important to society, they're important to film um you know they they might hold a dark dirty place but they are important in in this industry yeah that uh that's men behind the sun i don't know if you've seen that one uh, anybody other than me i don't know if anybody's watched that but uh it's the story of the japanese during world war ii while the germans are doing all this awful stuff to people it's almost a second thought in our society and our culture in the united states there were other countries doing just this disgusting, awful stuff. And at one point, and they did it to Americans. Yeah, they did it to whoever they captured. They just tortured them. So it's a movie about the torture, this camp. And at one point, they one of the villagers is a little kid that comes onto the camp. And they capture him and they kill him and they're doing an autopsy on him. So it transitions from it being an actor to being an actual autopsy that's like stock footage that's put into the movie, which a lot of these movies will do that. I mean, Necromantic does that with um, the bunny rabbit kill. 
some of the other ones. I mean, Faces of Death was all pretty much stock footage that was filmed somewhere else. Some of it was real. Most of it was fake. They'd film up to a certain point and then they'd put actors in and, you know, they'd film the, the scenes where the death occurred and it was all special effects. There is some stuff in it that's real. I mean, that was on TV. I mean, the one that I remember most from Faces of Death is the, he was a, not a congressman, but he was a somebody in politics in New York and he had committed a crime and he embezzled a bunch of money and he had got caught. And he's on camera and he's, you know, telling all these people stuff and it's a room full of reporters. He committed suicide. Yeah, he? he steps out from behind. Bud Dwyer, are you talking about? Yeah, and that was in Faces of Death. And that's that's a real one. I mean, to this day, I can see his body slumped down, blood pouring out of his nose. And then you read the story. He committed suicide because if he was taken out of office, if he was pardoned from his job, his family would and he'd went to prison his family would have gotten no benefit like all his work throughout his life his family would have not had insurance or pension or any of that so he committed suicide and died in office so his i think it was his wife and his son get benefits but it's ingrained in my brain to this day from seeing it at i was probably 12 years old or 10 years old when we watched face death i mean that was a normal weekly thing when i was growing up let's watch faces of death what's the new face of death you know like you just worked your way through them with your friends that was like my time frame. And then as you know, we got into the nineties and the internet and everybody's going to rotten.com. That was kind of the next step was rotten.com. You talk about that transition from real to fake. Um, one movie that did that really well was uh cannibal Holocaust. You see the butchering animals, you know, you see them chop up the turtle. You see, you know, you see certain things that are very much real and you're looking at it. You're like, okay, that, that is absolutely freaking real. And then they transitioned from doing that from the animals to the humans, which is why there was such an uproar when people saw that. They're like, holy crap, dude, you can't show this. You know, this is, this is nuts. You, you can't just show this footage, but it's just like the way they did it was just so clever of like it being footage footage of footage you know like a movie about footage and then uh, everyone just got an uppity they had to prove that all these actors were indeed still alive and everything and you know that it was not none of it was real but i think they got that from that real transition from putting the real stuff in and them not really showing you because as i was watching that i'm trying to like look at those lines of like how to tell if it's real if it's fake but i'm just like caught up in just the whole you know shock factor of it it's interesting as a makeup effects person though i'm always just trying to find that that barrier because ever since i was a kid even with 80s movies certain movies on our list like maniac you know you'd see i would, I would as a kid i was like dude this stuff's real and it's creepy and i can't believe they're showing this like how'd they get away with this you know going on in my head there's just certain kills and just certain things but they just i don't know they just did it well yeah well and i think one of the things that happened is you went from the 70s into the 80s was film I mean, a lot of the 70s movies are so grainy. They look real. It looks like, to us especially nowadays, it looks like something that would be shot on an old camera like that. And that old film could hide a lot, too. And you get that transition in the 80s, especially now. I feel like I could record on my phone, and I couldn't hide a damn thing. You know, the, right. the picture would be so good that I couldn't hide anything. Those 70s movies really were... That graininess helped hide things and made it feel real. I mean, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, by today's standards, is how you could probably put it on in a five-year, a fifth-grade class, and kids would be like, "Oh, I, I've seen worse and I've heard worse." Playing Roblox to us, it looks real. Maybe it's because uh, we were raised on 
old documentaries that were made in the 70s and stuff, you know, all that stuff was real. According to our teachers in school, it's like, we're going to watch this documentary and it's going to teach you. So it's like, we learned from stuff like that. And, you know, nobody's fault except for camera quality, you know, but even going back and watching those movies, it's just like, like I was saying with Last House of the Left, man, it's, man, it's like you're watching the documentary. Like when I watched it with my daughter, I was like, imagine me as a teacher showing you this warning movie. It's crazy, but it's good. I told her, it's like, I, and then I talked to her about all the things, why I enjoyed it, not just like, hey, your dad's crazy and he likes this movie about like rape and stuff no i mean it was it was a well-made movie for the time and the the story was pretty epic and real but there are certain movies that i i haven't and probably won't well i probably could she's reaching more towards 18 so you know i'd probably be able to sit down and watch like cannibal holocaust with her but that might be one of you i wouldn't you guys ever heard of um house on the edge of the park I've heard of it. I've never watched it. Yeah. No. Okay. That is, that is an Italian movie made by the same guy who made cannibal Holocaust. And it's got David Hess, who was the villain in the uh, last house on the left. And it's a very realistic kind of movie like that, except way more shocking because it's Italian cinema. So you get a lot more of the nudity, a lot more, you know, there's not a lot of gore. There's like a razor and you get a razor with like, you know, the blood behind it to where you could press a button and the blood will show up. But it's still, I mean, just with the whole shock and the buildup of everything. But it's it's just about like this guy, these guys get brought to a party. They end up being like criminals and everything. And they end up like just cutting up and trying to take charge of this party and like take down dudes and like try to you know rape and make out with other girls and it's italian it's very 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 european but uh it's got a, it's kind of got the same tones of uh, last house on the left i think that was their thing but i come to later find out that was the director of cannibal holocaust and who jumping around here you know he has a cameo in hostel eli roth was extremely influenced by and i should have written his name because ugh, made me angry because i also found out he's a he was an assistant director on on Django, an old Western. I recently been getting into Westerns, but that's like one of the goriest Westerns. And he was assistant director on that. And then you go on to make all these other crazy cinemas. Is that like that Ruggio or Ru Ruggero? Yeah, he just passed away. Yeah, he just passed away not that long ago. Yep. Diodato, is that how you say his last name? I think so. I'm glad you guys have computers. Thank you. I didn't have the access to that. I'm like, what's this thing? You're getting into horror-based Westerns or just Westerns in general? No, I mean, it wasn't even a horror base. It was just an Italian Western, oh, okay. I guess. And, you know, there there are those Italian spaghetti Westerns, I guess. And this was like just, but I just, that one stuck out to me. Django did. It's a really good one, but like, it, it's just, it's pretty violent. Like they, they slice a dude's ear off and like stick it in his mouth and everything. <laughs> what about, have you seen a bone tomahawk? I have. Yes, I have. I actually think I own that one because I just took a chance on it because I'm a Kurt Russell Western. And then I watched the trailer. I was like, this kind of looks horror-ish. Oh, I'm buying it. You know, just straight up. And I was like, uh, at the very end of that, I was sitting, I always watch these movies alone too. It's like, man, I feel like you should watch these with friends so you can react <laughs> to me because when you're just sitting there, you're just going like. Yeah. When you were talking about um, Cannibal Holocaust, I showed that movie to my son, Jack, who's 17 now. So he'd have probably been 16 or 15 when we watched it. And I just prefaced it with, there are scenes of real animal death in this movie they killed those animals they fed them to the tribe and that's not cool it is what it is a lot of people have an issue with it i understand that but i said it's this is an important part of cinema especially horror cinema and it's a movie that it should be hard to watch it should be hard to see these animals get killed. It should be hard to see um, the ladies tortured. She's raped because she had slept with somebody's 
I think the one tribe member's brother. So I get that this is hard to watch, but it should be hard to watch. But these are the kind of things that go around that happen in other parts of the world. And I think that's something I talked with Jason Whitmarsh about when I was at the um, thing with the Roz Talks. I said, you know, I watched Mondo Carne. I wasn't shocked on Mondo Carne, the original, because it's, you know, it's 80 years ago and it's not stuff that's shocking to us now. But I could see where people would, especially in the United States, watch that and be like, oh my God, those people don't have clothes on. Oh, they're eating a snake. Oh, they're doing, you know, and they're eating bugs. They're We put ourselves in this box a lot. People in general, probably all over the world, that if it isn't normal here and it isn't happening in here, then it's taboo and it's shocking. You know, because, and I'm sure there's a lot of things that we do in this country that other people in other countries are like them Americans. I tell you, can't take them anywhere. Yeah. When I pointed out that one movie is very European, they're just certain things just do not get under their skin. So they just show it openly. Whereas when we see it, and I'll just say, and it's nudity, really, nudity in this country is just so oddly shunned upon where violence is not just such an odd line you know and i met european people and i've spoke to european people where they or they're just like it's like you know they show that stuff in elementary school like over there they try to get them so just watered down and used to it that it's just not like oh when they say make a girl you go berserk you know it's like it's it's nudity is nudity but I think that does add for the shock. And I think that's what helped add to the shock with the whole list of the 80s movies. You know, the ones that came out in the 80s on our list. It was it was more or less like we're going to just like show this straight up naked girl for absolutely no reason. Just to know that you're going to freak out about it. And they were right. I always say that Linnea Quigley was the first naked woman that I ever really saw. Um, but that's not true because the, the first one that I saw was I Spit on Your Grave, which, uh, you know, that came out in 78. But that's another one where I think it was so unsettling because of the the brutality. You know, there was these long extended scenes of these three guys chasing this beaten naked woman through the woods and, and raping her and repeatedly. And then, you know, when they pulled out the, the empty beer bottle or, or whatever and started using that, it was just so old. My jaw was just on the floor. I'll never forget the experience of watching that movie and the shock from it. And then they, they you know, in the what? 2000s 2010s they remade that i don't know if you guys saw the remake i spit on your grave which i enjoyed it but they almost got into sensationalizing the violence because you know of course in the original the woman who uh is attacked she comes back seduces the men and, and kills them and gets her revenge the remake's the same thing but the her kills are really inventive you know it's almost like she's like macgyver you know setting these guys up and then they um they had some sequels to the remake which again i mean it's it's uh touchy subject to watch about you know abduction and rape but by those by that time it, they got really just sensationalized on on the gore and the violence but you go back to 78 and that again about the graininess it was almost like watching someone's home movie and it was just oh my god well and in 78 nothing she did was like oh that's idiotic everything she did seemed like it could really happen and that she was thinking that like i'm gonna get back at these guys and do it this way like i said at no point did you think well that was stupid why would she do that you're just like yeah, no it was, it was simple enough but it would have worked i mean it absolutely would have worked and yes that part was so interesting in that movie when the guy's just like oh you were just laying around asking for it and you think that you know she kind of timids down for a bit i don't know it's just interesting it's just the whole argument in our country forever it's like oh you know a girl's just laying around in a bikini she just wants it it's like no dude no dude that's that's not what the fuck that means you know it's just crazy that guys think that 
Well, and the reason I brought that film up at, at this point in the conversation is because, Brent, you just talked about how, you know, skin and nudity is kind of shunned and very taboo in this country, which I think kind of leads to some of that to a degree. You see a, a woman in a bikini and you're like, oh, I, I, she must want it because you're not used to seeing that because it's so you can't look or see anything. Like, I, I wonder, I have to do some research. I wonder what, like, uh, violent domestic sexual crimes are in Europe, you know, as opposed to here, just because sexuality is more open there. I do want to say that last uh, House on the Edge of the Park, it was made in Europe, but it takes place in New York. So they're trying to show, you know, like, I think going back to where it's like this way in America as opposed to Europe, I think that story wouldn't have worked in the European setting. I think it only worked in the American kind of setting. So, well, plus, and David Hess has a pretty heavy accent. I don't think you could pass him off as a Bulgarian or a Italian. Well, maybe Italian, but no, you're. <laughs> Jeez, he's, oh my God, he talks like my grandma, dude. Just like super thick. Hey, what you talking about? Hey, come on, get out of here. <laughs> and he was like, a, he was a, a renowned theater actor, I believe, wasn't he? David Hess? Yeah, he's a theater actor and a freaking musician, man. He, he was a talented guy. And I think that's what made me love the original Last House. I'm just like, oh, he's not this piece of crap who I thought for two movies, you know, two separate movies. He plays like one of the most disgusting roles, you know, that a guy has to play in a movie and do like some weird stuff. But it's like, uh, you see him outside. He's not so messed up by it. He's just like, he's just a talented, normal dude who, who I wouldn't want to be locked in the same room <laughs> with, you know? So, so Jason, I'm going to put you on the spot. I got a question for you. Okay. Talking about this subject so far, like one of the first films that Brent went to was Last House on the Left. One of the first ones I always go to is I Spit on Your Grave. Brian usually brings up Cannibal Holocaust, you know, when we start talking about this stuff and Faces of Death. Do you remember what your first film that, because again, you're kind of more mainstream, nothing wrong with that, but you, your first like, oh my God, what the fuck is this that I'm watching film that you saw? I remember always wanting to, I used to be into it when I was younger, the Faces of Death. I would always go to Family Video, and when I was lucky enough to find one in stock available for rent, because it was always checked out, so it was one hard to find. But then it was between, I watched I Spit on Your Grave. I don't know how I got into that or how I watched that. I've always liked horror movies, so I don't think that's one that's going to be on TV. Maybe I just heard about it and watched it. The Last House on the Left I don't think I've seen the original one, the 72. I saw the remake one. Remakes, Remakes they, they they just went a little more hardcore. It's just like, a, I went to the theater to see that remake and I, you could hear a pin drop in that theater during like the hardest of times. It was, it was crazy awkward. It's like, oh my God. <laughs> so, to watch it with a theater because I've seen most of these movies on my own but to watch that one in a theater with people same with like you know more recent movies I guess we've gone to see to where it's like it's crazy you know it's crazy how quiet people get so I remember the I spit on your grave and um, deliverance I remember that was an old one like oh <laughs> the fuck's going on here you know it's just <laughs> so the fuck is this <laughs> yeah yeah honestly I remember the days growing up and like Brian said getting on rotten.com more recently like 4chan live leak used to have a lot of stuff i used to be kind of into the gore and all that stuff and it was pretty real and but nowadays it's i've gotten more tame maybe because the world's changing me i guess and it's the way the world's going sadly but well maybe not sadly i don't know i'm not i'm not one of those who are anti-everything I think one of the reasons that Rotten.com and stuff like that were, were so successful is because at that point, you know, in the late 90s, I think is when that come out. And I was a fan of Rotten.com too, was at that point you had this generation, you know, our generation, we're all about the same age, of kids who grew up experiencing some of these films that we're discussing, but really grew up into the 
fun, colorful, watered down version of shock cinema, in my opinion. And that's when you get into like your trauma films and stuff like that, you know, like uh, Toxic Avenger or Combat Shock, which is a little more serious, but where the, the gore was was fun. So to us, it was like watching a cartoon. Why do you have I, I'm looking at your list. Why is RoboCop on the list? RoboCop is on the list that I wrote down because I knew someone was going to ask me because it's kind of an odd fit. <laughs> I was going to get there too, yeah. If you watch RoboCop, it's uber violent. It's it's tone, it's attitude, and of course the the gore and stuff that it shows. And I felt that um, that deserved to be on this list because it was almost a throwback. It was just ultra violent and kind of celebrated some of those quote-unquote taboo things that were put in place in motion going all the way back to mondo yeah and jason actually that uh robocop is one of my earliest movie memories ever i remember sitting on the couch watching it with my you know when my folks were still together which you know they ended up not when i was at a young age but that's one of my very first memories and that was one of the ones where i remember thinking that's real what the crap how did they do that like they blew his hand off i'm just like oh my god like ah. and then just everyone with their crazy the amount of blood coming out of bullet holes that and die hard just crazy bloody bullet holes i remember that was definitely one of the first movies though where i'm just kind of like I, as a little kid i was definitely definitely shocked to watch it um, but i was watching it as a very little kid with my parents so just like hmm, it, it's borderline definitely <laughs> let me tell you the grossest thing in robocop is that the fucking guy died and they're like fuck you you're going to work tomorrow we're gonna build your ass back up and you're going to work <laughs> <laughs> they ain't getting out that easy yeah <laughs> and plus you know films like robocop it was accessible because it was also fun it was filled with a lot of really cool one-liners you know then you almost had you know brent you brought up westerns earlier robocop kind of had the twirl of the gun there it almost had this kind of old west there's a new sheriff in town i want to grow up and be a cop feel to it so it, it really in the wild west yeah definitely it allowed that ultra violence to really reach a mainstream audience and kind of make people celebrate it and go see it and maybe be forced to feel uncomfortable at some of the stuff they were watching i think in order to go to a movie that feels futuristic you're gonna have to sit through a couple hardships i always felt you know it's like we're we're getting this tail and it's like a futurist to robo ro uh, cop robot cop and yeah i feel like as as the trade of getting to go to see something cool like that you are going to get have to get like the harshness of what that reality would be i mean his gun was insane wasn't it it just like it just messed people up you know you could do the same damage with a gun that does a single shot especially with a robot with precise you know with precise aim he's gonna it's like oh whoa <laughs> so i think too the i don't have the director's name in front of me but i remember the director for robocop was was a foreign guy he was from across the pond somewhere. That That's interesting, an interesting story. I should have prepared more of it for this podcast because, you know, he didn't want to do it and he got dragged into it and he was just kind of a angry, violent guy himself. But it just shows the, <laughs> the differences between cultures because, again, that was directed by someone not from the States. But then when you get into RoboCop 2 and 3 and then the video game came out, it, when there, was there a TV series or something, you know, and then all of a sudden it got real kind of comic booky superhero, that tone of the first film was gone and, and back to the first film we talked earlier about graininess of the 70s i almost say that if robocop had a grainy film look to it it would look more like a doc you would like holy shit am i watching something that i didn't 
know about that happened 20 years ago in Detroit? Like, what's going on, you know? In futuristic Detroit 20 years ago. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense. So we had talked about some of the iceberg things at one point. Have you ever yeah. looked up the iceberg, the disturbing movie, the iceberg? You ever seen one of those? Mm-mm. So there's about 8 million of them, but you can go on Reddit, Twitter. You can go on the online and people make these icebergs. And you know what an iceberg is. It's most ice is below the water. So as you go down, it becomes a more disturbing or there's supposed to be a more disturbing film. So I just pulled one up quick. The top layer is Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Seven, Saw, Midsommar, Megan is Missing. You go down to the next one, Human Centipede, the original, Tusk, The House of Jack Belt, and Eraserhead. You go to the next one, Terrifier. This has a lot of newer stuff on it. Um, I Spit on Your Grave 2010. Here's one of the early ones we didn't talk about, Freaks. The original Freaks movie from 1932 that was like, for the longest time, you couldn't find it. And there's still, it sounds like most or a big chunk of the movie is missing. Yeah, I, I felt that when I watched it. I was like, I, I don't feel like I'm seeing the whole thing. Pink Flamingos, The Golden Glove, which is a foreign movie that I watched on, uh, I think I watched it on Shudder that was re- really good. Cannibal Holocaust, uh, The Human Centipede 2, which is a lot gorier than the first one. Um, Antichrist, which is like an art housey film movie. I thought it was decent. And then uh, Salo. Or 120 Days of Solemn. You ever seen that one? No. So it's about these, it's World War II again. And it's about these rich Italian people that just take these kids from cities, teenage kids, maybe 14, 15, 16, and just make them do all kinds of weird shit and perform sexual acts. It's a beautiful film. That's the hard part is it just looks, it's a period piece, but it just looks so stunning. That it's almost like you're paying attention to how the film looks and the sound and the music's great. And then they do this grotesque act, you know, last for a little bit. And then you're back into the movie looking amazing. But it actually happened. I mean, this is stuff that happened at that period of time in this world. So it's important that the stories told maybe could be told a little different. But then the next level is Come and See from 1985. Uh, Begotten, a Serbian film, which that's one of the newer ones um, that I won't watch because they say that a baby gets raped in the movie. I know it's not real, but I don't need to see that. And then Faces of Death. Um, and then Guinea Pig, which there's an American Guinea Pig and there's um, a Japanese Guinea Pig series. And you can see the Japanese versions on uh, archive.org. It's maybe not the whole movie, but you can get you know most of the movie there. Um, and they're you know notorious for being gory. There's unearthed film that releases a lot of the American guinea pig stuff. Um, and when we went to Midwest Monster Fest that first time, Jason, uh, Marcus Conch. That's exactly who I was just looking up when you started talking about that. He's one of the people that is really good at special effects, um, does a lot of these realistic, gory special effects movies. Um, and then the last one is August Underground, which I've been trying to find forever because I want to watch it. Engineering Red and then Slaughtered Vomit Dolls. And I scroll down a little bit and somebody's like, what's Slaughtered Vomit Dolls? Some guy was like, it's these people throwing up in people's heads that have been cut off and they think it's art. So they call it a movie. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's weird. But yeah, I, when you if you look some of these up, you get to the bottom and it's pretty much just snuff films. They say it basically gets the snuff at the end, right? Animal bestiality stuff, stuff you can't find like on the regular internet. You could probably find it on the dark web or there's people passing around it on VHS or whatever. Yeah. When I was trying to prepare for this, I clicked on a video and there was a history of the bottom of the iceberg type thing. And I watched it and that's where they were talking about reminding me about rotten.com and other websites and then they got into some of these videos and it was uh, i mean what they what they described it as was pretty depraved you know nothing i would want to watch 
Yeah, when Brian shared the iceberg thing with me, I looked one up and I'm looking and I was like one up from the bottom that it, of something that I've seen. And I was just like, Jesus Christ, I'm almost at the seventh <laughs> level of hell here. I felt like a, a serial killer or a voyeur or something, you know. I don't think anybody here wants to get to the the bottom. There's some things that, you know, there, there's one thing, there, there's a place for shock cinema as far as challenging ideas, invoking ideas and having social commentary and talking about things that are uncomfortable. There's a whole nother world of watching someone get raped and murdered for real or whatever the case may be. It sounds like a good game show though. Like if they get like a whole room full of people and then they start playing these movies and like the last person sitting there. <laughs> you know, people are going to walk out. Definitely. I've, I've had people walk out during Cannibal Holocaust. I've had people walk out during Terrifier, you know, showings that during a lot of these movies that I've watched, I've, I've had like people just walk out and watching it because they just can't handle it. One of the most disturbing ones I remember definitely is Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer. Yes. That almost that not having been to the bottom of the iceberg myself, I feel like Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer was always the bottom of my iceberg. Like probably that's about <laughs> as much as I could probably handle watching of a movie of, of anything of the source material. It's just like, man, this is uh, it's just so dirty and cringy. Good actors, obviously. They have I can't think of his name. I don't know why. Michael Rorker, Tom Towles, yeah. Rourke especially, you know, he's gone on to do Disney movies these days, but it's just like, man, if any any of these Disney kids ever saw Henry, they look at him in a totally different <laughs> light because it was like, man, I was, it was hard for me to work past that movie for me because it was just like, it's just gritty. I, I met him at Motor City Nightmares and uh, that was at the height of his uh, Walking Dead fame. And um, I uh, picked out a, a still from Henry. I was like, you got to sign this for me. You know, and he kind of looked at me and gave me that. Yeah, you know, look, but, you know, one of the things about that film that's really uncomfortable is I haven't seen it in a while. So I might be mis misspoken here, but I don't remember a lot of composure. There, there's no music. So it seems real. A lot of it's just silent and, and things in movies, I think, are more brutal to watch when you don't have that music to make you feel a certain way, bring you up or take you down. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it just is kind of like the lingering keyboards, like in between on the in between scenes where it's just like holding on something yes. where it just makes you think and get unnerved. You know, it's like that's yeah, good point you bring up there. Yeah, it really gave it a realistic like you're watching someone's home video for real. Talking about home video, I don't have a whole lot to say about this, but we have to talk about video violence, which I know is 80s gore horror schlock. If you haven't seen video violence or video violence too, video violence, it's about uh, a couple passing through this small town and I think their car breaks down and so they have to stay there. Everybody loves going to the local video store, but you find out the video store is all home movies of the townspeople capturing people that come into town and torturing them and stuff. Oh, shit. It's a little on the lighter side, but it's it's a great flick. I got to check that out. And then uh, Justin Beam just uh, did some commentary for video violence, right? I think we just talked about that a couple episodes ago. I'm going to have to watch that later. I haven't seen that in forever. Well, video violence? Oh, you could come over and watch part one and part two on Blu-ray from Terravision at my house. <laughs> I'm going to have to get a television <laughs> subscription because you just live too damn far away. It hasn't been open yet, but <laughs> he'll open it. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I've seen the first one. I don't. Know, I found that somewhere online to watch. Jason, you brought up you brought up game shows, and I so I got to talk about this real quick. Have you guys, anybody here, ever seen ABC's of Death? There's two of them. It came out maybe eight, ten years ago. No. So ABC's of Death, they were all shorts, and of course, it was A was a short movie, B was a short movie, and they were made by film directors all around the world. A lot of them were foreign. There was some American stuff in there, but if you watch the first one, there's a pretty unsettling one. I forget. The the title but uh it's a japanese made film and 
these two guys are strapped to this chair and there's a stage in front of them and they're forced to masturbate in rounds. And the first man to not ejaculate loses and is killed. Basically a spike gets shot up from the chair, sodomy right up his ass. But what they are made to watch as they masturbate each round, it gets worse and worse. And it's these horrifying things. And just to clue you in, towards the end of of that segment that short film i they don't show it but it's there's a, a middle-aged overweight man and this like six-year-old boy and the boy just sits there real solemn looking like and you know the second you see those two the silhouettes you're like oh my god and they don't show it that's where it kind of segues in and then the one guy who's strapped to the chair he sees that and just kind of rolls his eyes and passes out plus two physically he's just drained you know because there's no time to drink water or sleep or replenish you just go 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 (laughs) you're trying (laughs) so then he um he passes out and then you see that he is not in the chair anymore he wakes up and he looks around he's not in the chair so he thinks i won and you as a viewer kind of like okay maybe this was like a moral thing like he was pushed to his limit and he passed the test but you find out he's been mutilated and he's basically on stage now as some hideous sexual performance for new contestants Oh, wow. Does that make anybody want to go watch the film? (laughs) It is a fucked up watch. So ideally you wanted to get off right away, right? Exactly. Okay, okay. Just just getting that. All right. But there was no one and done, man. It was you had to keep going. Oh. That's what I'm saying. If the first round per round per round and the first man who didn't ejaculate during masturbation, watching whatever was he was forced to watch on stage was the loser. Oh. And of course, everybody's betting on these guys. It was so fucked up. That's wild. Good God. I was hoping you were going to talk about when you mentioned the game show. I immediately thought of the movie Stay Tuned with John Ritter. Like if you if have you guys ever seen that? Yeah, it has nothing to do with what we're talking about, except it's kind of a horrorish movie where, you know, if you die on the game, you die in real life. <laughs> no, I appreciate you bringing that up. After everything I just said, we needed some levity. Thank I was about to say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else. When you were talking game show, I was like, okay, so there's 10 people in this room. They put on all these things that they, and the last person wins. And by when they come in and they go to prison, they like cuff them. They're like, okay, you're, <laughs> you're too, you're going away. Like It's like, all right, sucker. we got a padded room for you. <laughs> all right. Message Jeff. Let's get that set up at Midwest Monster Fest. You know, we'll the game show. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll have the, which game show, the one I talked about or the one you guys are talking about? <laughs> The okay. one we're talking about. We're <laughs> not, not the one you're talking about, Clint. <laughs> Thank God. East Moline PD will be there <laughs> with Chris Hansen also. I'm just glad it's not the one I was talking about. I'm getting older. I can't hang like I used to, man. Jeez. You know, we kind of got off the beaten path talking about stay tuned and, and joking about that. There, There's a couple. Of, I have one written down in the list and one that goes along with it that I didn't write down. But there are some things as you get into the 80s and then into the 90s that I think was shock cinema, but isn't necessarily horror. And the one I have written down is Suburbia from 1983, which was written by the director of Twice Dead, which we covered a few episodes back. But if you go and watch Suburbia, it's kind of like an 80s version of the 90s movie Kids. You guys remember Kids in the 90s? Oh, yeah. That was pretty pretty um, uh, controversial because it shot in black and white kids was in the 90s and it had that documentary feel and it was just about kids with no direction and drinking and smoking weed and skipping school and having sex and stds and a lot of these things that were by the time we get to the 90s i think we as a society were so desensitized 
the culture had moved away from shock cinema, that that was like, oh my God, what am I watching? And that caught a lot of flack. But if you go back to 1983 and watch Suburbia, it was kind of the same thing. It, it focused more on punk rock culture, but it was outcast kids and dealing with heroin overdoses and stuff like that. But there's two scenes in Suburbia from 83 that are insane. And the the opening of the movie, there's this mom at a payphone with a, a young girl, one of the punks. Have you seen this, Brent? Have you seen so? Oh, so you know what I'm talking about. I actually, I had to, I had to watch it for homework, but yeah, I actually watched it yesterday <laughs> for the first time. And the, the mom's at a payphone because her car broke down, and there, there's um, a teenage girl there with her, and the mom's got a, a baby, you know, a young boy. He could have been maybe two, maybe. The mom hands the baby to this this teenage girl, and they're kind of in the middle of nowhere in LA, alongside a highway. This rabid dog comes out of nowhere and snatches the little two-year-old boy and shreds him to shit. And they show it, you know. And obviously, it was a dummy getting flung around, but th- they did such a good job of visually showing you this. It wasn't graphic, but yeah, definitely. I, like I didn't think that's. I mean, I obviously I did think that's a dummy, and I wonder how many people would say, "Oh, that's a dummy." But it's just like I wouldn't have said that even watching it with a group because the moment caught, I was just kind of like, "Whoa." Oh, okay. Because that was the very beginning of the movie. It's like, oh, okay, here we go. Took you right, yeah, right out the bat. Yep. What was the other scene? The other one um, from that was the very end. So when the guys with the El Camino drive through the crowd of punks at their home base there, and they wind up killing the young brother. So it kind of started with the death of a young person, ended with the death of a young person. So obviously at the end, it wasn't as shocking because it wasn't a baby, but he was still, what, a 10-year-old kid? And he just gets smashed on that windshield. I was waiting for it because it's just like, all right, there hasn't been too much shocking footage from this movie. And I and I called it. I'm like, I bet something's going to happen to this kid. I didn't know what, but I'm just like, this kid's rolling with these guys. He almost seems out of place. So I'm going to guess he's going to be there because something's going to happen to him. And then sure enough, they did. Yeah, the car just hits him in his trike. He goes like up on the windshield. It, what really caught me was when like the body flung to the ground. It was the actor kid. I was just like, wow, it's like, geez, that was an interesting take. It's like, I wonder if that kid got hurt from that take or if he felt pretty good about it. But I just don't know. It was, I don't know, it, it caught up to where it was. That was interesting. It was an interesting watch, definitely. There's a, there's a lot of graininess because of the reality of the time, you know, because it was very real for the time. Because there was a lot of punk rock kids, you know, people who were just following that whole punk rock genre of like just not wanting to listen to their parents just to be out on their own and, you know, getting in the, with a clique of people and doing it. I, I imagine that was, especially for California, I bet that was like a very, very real touching movie. Absolutely. And then the, the death at the end you're talking about, before the kid got flung to the ground, they hold for five seconds or so the shot of his dead face in the windshield all wide-eyed. So it just added that little layer of brutality. You know that he got hit, but you see the aftermath. And then the other interesting part about the film that I thought put it in a shock cinema category was it touched on molestation. It touched on homelessness. It touched on, you know, kids branding each other in poor living conditions and all this crazy stuff. Very cultural. And it ties well in with kids in the 90s. I think it was the same thing. Not as brutal with kids, but. Yeah, right at the end, obviously, bigger city, East Coast. Kids was on the East Coast, New York City, where there's people like absolutely everywhere. And that, I think that's what shocked me the most. It's like kids are just doing this right in the middle of the city. It's just like, damn, do people live like this in the city to where they don't give a damn? They're just going to do whatever. It's like, damn, if the kids are doing it, the adults have got to be, right? I don't know. That was that was an interesting watch, too. Kids was almost, it, it was a very um, realistic commentary on the times. And I'll just relate a story of myself real quick. I remember... About the time that came out, I was in, was a junior, I was eighth grade, ninth grade. I remember being at a school dance 
I hung out with some people I probably shouldn't have hung out with, but I mean, it's not like we were out, we weren't gangs, you know, raping people and robbing stores. But I remember a, a buddy of mine, we, towards the end of the dance, we stepped outside to get some fresh air because I was hot. And I remember he was there. He didn't come to the dance, pulled me, called me over to the car and he shows me he had a sawed off shotgun with him and a couple forties and was just sitting there smoking a joint, drinking and showing me this gun. And everything was so normal to me. I didn't freak out like, oh my God, what's this guy doing? We need to go call the cops. No one got shot. Nothing was, nothing happened, but everything was real. It was just a different time. God, if something like that were to happen now, everybody would be in jail, you know? Oh, the good old days. I got a habit of making everything serious, so let's go back and, and touch on touch on one film. I guess this isn't really going to make it any lighter, but uh, we got to talk about Silent Night, Deadly Night from 1984. I have it on the list. We have to talk about it. I think it's more campy. I love the film; one of my all time favorites. I, I didn't I didn't think that would be on this list. It felt like it'd be more of just like a regular 80s slasher, you know? Yeah, but I think the reason I tossed it on here was because it had so much controversy when it came out, getting banned. From theaters. And I still don't know to this day if it was because it was one of the first movies you saw, at least more mainstream, because there were movies before that, like uh Brian, uh, what's Christmas Evil? Uh, I think I think Brian likes more, uh, which came out in 1980, so four years earlier. But Silent Night, Deadly Night, like I say, it was getting banned. It had suburban moms in an uproar. It was all this stuff. And I don't know if it's because it portrayed Santa as a killer and had a mainstream presence at the time, because it really isn't violent or brutal above a normal slasher well because of friday the 13th movies in the 80s you had a lot of people making complaints just to make complaints you know i think i think movies were just starting to get people on them especially one that was christmas it's like no this is our pure time we're definitely all going to complain about this one so they probably went up in arms for that one in particular just because of the fact of the matter because you watch it it's obviously not santa it doesn't do anything with the morals of christmas or anything like that it's just an interesting little weird murder movie psychological murder movie you know does have a lot of unnecessary nudity, I felt. And Violet knew the rape, the rape scene. I think that was the more of the shock. A couple of them at that. Well, the beginning scene and then the rape scene in the store. And then you get Linnea Quigley. God bless her. But uh, I was just like, okay, okay, okay. You know, boobs, boobs, boobs. And that was what was going on in the 80s. You know, mid 80s, especially. Even Friday the 13th was doing that, you know, with part five. It's like, let's see how many boobs we can show. Because that's, it was just, I don't know. I blame cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> and the 80s, everyone was like, boobs. <laughs> I wondered too if one of the reasons it was so taboo is because it it wasn't a monster. It de- dealt with mental illness, you know, the tragedy that he went through, and then the the breakdown and and stuff like that. And in the eighties, that's when you had you know people were getting released and mental hospitals were getting closed, except the one that Brian was a patient at. We're getting closed down and. Yeah, it all, I think, goes back to you can't have Santa as a serial killer. I mean, you can't fill a movie with Santa killing people and boobs and expect the moms of the world to be happy about it. Yeah, that film, Robert Brian Wilson, who plays Billy Chapman, who plays the Santa killer in that, he even, there was so much backlash for years. He kind of distanced himself from that film, didn't necessarily denounce it. No, I'm not going to do any interviews. No, I'm not doing conventions. He's since come around and he's not going to do any other horror movies. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because he he went on to do uh, soap operas and stuff. He's re-embraced it, though, and he's touring the circuit now and, you know, meeting fans and stuff. Do you guys notice on my list, I got to like the end of the 80s and then I didn't bring up anything else until hostile in 2005 and then terrifier i couldn't think of anything that i considered shock cinema it's almost like we hit a couple decades nothing taboo was ex- explored am i wrong am i forgetting something 90s 90s was a lot of faces of death because they kept releasing the faces of death there was multiple versions of them that was the only thing i remember because 
by then, you know, horror movies were starting to get a little more tacky and campier. It was before the whole seriousness of them again. Uh, I think Saw brought the serious gore and everything back to the whole mainstream. But yeah, I feel like it disappeared there for a minute. You'd have to go foreign to find some stuff that gets in that realm there. When was Necromantic was in the 90s, wasn't it? If it was, it was super early. I, th- I thought it was like eight, 89, maybe 90. I can't believe I didn't write that down. I should have. I mean, a, a couple in necrophilia, that, that's definitely... Oh, 1988, yeah. But when you talk about the punk thing, that was what Necromantic was. It was this punk. They just had that punk attitude of like, they're telling us we can't make these kind of movies in Germany. We're going to fucking make this movie. And we're just going to fucking do it with people that are around. And of course, it got banned and he had to go to like the Supreme Court in fucking Germany and have it classified as a work of art so that it would be even released necromantic yeah yep oh wow i didn't know that there again you can show boobies all over tv and nudity in germany but you not violence they're just now being able to get like evil dead 2 the original wow because yeah there's a big push for violence to most european countries so backwards here but yeah so we, we go through like basically a couple of decades of nothing but halloween four and five type movies sorry jason yay <laughs> one of the movies i watched for this um to kind of warm up for it was inside which is a 2007 french movie i don't know if any of you have seen that but it's about this lady um, her husband is killed in a car accident she's gonna have a baby um and this crazy lady breaks into her house towards the end cuts her baby out of her attacks her the whole movie kills the police that show up i was watching it in the car and i was like uh tiffany you might want to just drive i'll put my headphones on from the eight 2000s martyrs 2008 that's another i think french movie so yeah you'd have to go overseas i think they're in like a mental institution or something and they escape there's another uh i think it might be french too but uh irreversible from like 2002 And it's like the movie's played backwards. You start at the end and go to the beginning. And there's a rape scene in like a hall. Seems like it lasts for like a half hour. It's just brutal. So yeah, you'd really have to dive into like the French um, and German stuff, foreign stuff to find anything in the 2000s that is on this level. The issue with those movies is they all look so good. The acting's great. The filmmaking's great. The soundtrack's great. It's just this awful stuff that's happening to these people. Because most of them are based, there's not a monster. It's not, I'm flying to the jungles of New Guinea to be eaten by cannibals. They're all really, I mean, within reason. I mean, the one lady that lost her baby was took like the damage of Jason Voorhees to get through the movie. But yeah, a lot of them are just really realistic. It's harder for us to watch, I feel like. Well, and I think uh, Eli Roth definitely tapped in on that with the whole European movie feel, and he brought it back with his movies. Um, he obviously did Cabin Fever, which is not so much a controversial movie, but you know, it just really caught people off guard, and it was pretty violent. But then he decides to take his film direction of the path like his uh, film mentors took, like uh, what's his name from Cannibal Holocaust and everything. You know, he's publicly said that you know this guy is an influence for all of his movies. So then when he made the movie Hostel, um, I felt that was such a good movie. It looked good. It had great music to it. Um, it was I was right around that age group at the time, so it was like stuff. You know, I want to go to Europe. I wanted to have fun. You know, it's like, I, I definitely wanted to like hook up with like hot chicks and everything. It was just interesting the way he did it because you're having this super fun movie that anyone could be watching and you know, you're enjoying it. You're following you're like, yeah, you're, they're in Europe, you know, very relatable stuff going on. And then everything changes in the drop of a hat. 
And it's like, oh, whoa. And then it evolves into what it actually is. You know, it's not just a psycho killer. It's a whole administration run by the entire country that they're in to make sure that you end up dead because they're paying. It's at like, their pleasure. Whoa. And see, we're all we're all parents here. And I think that's probably the thing that was probably the most unnerving about that is it, it falls in line with, I brought this up before, but taken with Liam Nielsen. Add that reality of like, I'm afraid now as a parent, my kids are never going anywhere. They're never going across the pond. That's for sure. Yeah. My, my 15 year old asked me if she could drive to the mall like 45 minutes in, to Ann Arbor with her friends. They're, they're all getting their licenses now. And I was like, uh, I said, I won't let my fear as a parent hinder you growing up. So yes, but you're calling me every five minutes, <laughs> you know, and that's why I got to yeah, be like, hey, you can do it. But first, watch this documentary and put in last house on the left. <laughs> so the only the only two, I guess, modern as of right now films I can think of, and I don't know the name, but there's one on Shutter. I don't know if it's still on, but it was um, it was like a sexually transmitted disease and violent sex in between people. It was like a Korean film. The sadness. Sadness. Yeah. I haven't watched it yet, but I heard that was pretty brutal as far as some of the things that happen between people. And this may sound, I mean, Brent's going to like this, but this may sound like I'm taking it back to the campy horror, but I really think that recently Terrifier, at least the original, in my opinion, brought back a little bit of that ultra violence that we kind of touched on in RoboCop, where I don't think that Terrifier is necessarily shock cinema or taboo, but the first Terrifier had this very, this is something that could very well happen, at least up till the end when it gets to the supernatural killer type twist. It was violent and it was brutal and, un and unnerving. Very scary. Luck was definitely not in their side in those movies. But I feel like that I didn't see Terrifier 1 with a group of people I saw by myself. And since then, I've been showing it to like small groups or just one other person at a time. Seeing Terrifier 2 in the theater, seeing people walk out. And I'm just like, dude, yeah, I haven't seen this happen since like I watched Cannibal Holocaust with somebody. So that was interesting. And it's just, yeah, it's like, how much violence can you show? And they had they had no limitations from the you know ratings boards or anything. The guy released the movie that he wanted to, and it was just interesting. But it, I mean, it wasn't, I mean, he did it without being sexual. So I guess as an American, having still felt uneasy watching his stuff, even though it had absolutely nothing sexual to do with it. I mean, I say bravo on him because yeah, it's, it's hard to do that with how we've been watered down these days. And with that first movie, I felt the nudity of the one girl of Dawn when she, you know, she gets, she's basically hanging there naked. Someone, a friend of mine had told me, and I thought it was a great point that they felt that the nudity was justified in that movie. It wasn't just in there just to show boobs. It was like her just being prepped to be completely sawed in half. And it didn't like zoom in on the boobs or anything like that. Even when it was close, you like just barely saw the top of her. And they just felt they were glad that it, it wasn't at least tacky and forced in there, you know, just for the sake of it being in there. It, it just went along right with the story. And you didn't think anything like, oh, why she got to be topless? You just kind of think of what the F is going to happen. Like what the F is about to happen. It, as weird as it sounds, I thought her being nude added a layer of like vulnerability. You can't be more vulnerable than being, you know, hung upside down, crotch open, getting ready to get sawed in half. But when you're naked, you're not clothed and you're more vulnerable. Yeah, that was a wild scene. And I'm glad I'm glad that scene in Terrifier 2 didn't turn into anything sexual. It just got it just <laughs> went crazy violent and never, never stopped. But, you know, to where other movies, you would feel that that is something that would happen. A guy breaks into a house with a female and starts attacking her if they're all alone. You know, typical movie fashion, you've seen the girl get raped, you know, and stuff like that, which, you know, no one likes to see. They've showed it in these movies that we've been talking about, but it's like it's, it's hard to watch, man. It's like no one really wants to watch that happen. And I've and, you know, you live around people 
people who've experienced this kind of stuff. And these aren't, this isn't something that they necessarily enjoy watching. Like they want to be a fan of the horror genre and stuff like that. But then when they come across these movies, it gets a little rough. It gets a little hard. It is touchy, but I don't know. I don't know where you could go borderline to where it needs to be shown because it does happen. Or if it just like needs to, you shouldn't shun people, you know, you got to put it out there. People have got to regurgitate the information. I guess limiting information doesn't even get anybody anywhere either, you know? Well, and I think one of the reasons that Terrifier has been successful is because it wasn't like Last House on the Left. It wasn't like I Spit on Your Grave. It, it brought some ultra violence to it, but it still had enough mainstream appeal where you had the fran- you had Art the Clown with the franchise character. You had um, the scenes where Art was chasing, I forget the actress's name, but the actress who he gave the bubblegum ring to. And you had that kind of Michael Myers stalky kind of horror of what we know where the tension of her hiding behind the car and him looking around the corner and stuff like that. Yeah, that, that was a fun scene. I love that scene. I always, I, Jason, I'm not sure how you'll feel about this. I, I do compare, I guess, earlier Michael Myers, before Michael Myers became like an old trivial dude and ground up in a meat locker. <laughs> he used to be an epitome of evil, you know, a, re, a reincarnation of evil. And I feel like that's what Art the Clown essentially is. You know, he's he's very humanistic. It, you know, you could touch him, he could touch you, but he's just like, if you crossed his path, you were officially on death's list kind of thing. You know, he's it, just that stroke of bad luck. He is death incarnate that you shouldn't even run into kind of thing. But that kind of went away when you saw more sightings of him in part two. Like he was almost purposely trying to get out for more people to see him. It was like in that first movie, there was just the sense of anyone who even breathes in this guy's direction. He's going to get you, you know, and I I love that about just such a spooky character. So I haven't seen All Hallows Eve. Um, Did we get a backstory to art? No, but you you do get an appearance. You do get uh, a definitive description of him being, I guess, uh, supernatural. Because if you watch All Hallows Eve, you know he's not human. You, you definitely know because they do some tricks with trade. They don't like straight up be like, ah, pull a fucking rabbit out of the hat. But they just do a few tricks that were part of filming it that were just like, hey, it's like this guy's not human. He's not real because he can do this stuff. But you don't see that until the very end of Terrifier. But having seen All Hallows Eve, I was waiting for that throughout Terrifier. I was like, I know this guy's not real. I, I absolutely know he's not a real person, you know, so it was interesting. But then so many people saw Terrifier first. So they're just like, they just think that this this guy and he shoots himself. And then when he gets up at the end, it's like shock. And I was just like, yeah, I was waiting for that. Yeah, that was me. The fir- My first was Terrifier. And but yeah, he's he's going to be a beloved character for a long time. I mean, Damian Leone like really hit it there. He he did too. He does this thing in All Hallows Eve where like he's trying to get into a shack with a girl and she's got the door locked and you know, he can't get in, so she's just sitting there resting. Some time goes by. Next thing you know, he's like straight up crawling out of the ground like to get her. She opens her eyes and he's like right there halfway out of the ground trying to reach for her. <laughs> like what the fuck is this? <laughs> How do you do that? I wish we we released the video of this because your eyes just got real crazy when you were doing that. (laughs) That was too good. (laughs) I'm actually glad you guys don't release video. So, (laughs) oh yeah, yeah. (laughs) We didn't tell you this is the first episode where we're going to. We didn't tell you that. I'm sorry. (laughs) Surprise! I was just talking to Chuck yesterday about this. I'm just like, yeah, just the video or the video chatting. Well, not really video, video chatting, but luckily just audio is what I told him. I don't have to look my best per se. Yeah, you know, we discuss a movie and then we usually rate it. I don't know how do we how do we get to that? We you can't rate a genre, can you? I guess I'll say this. I think everybody here agrees, and, and tell me if you don't. 
But the, the movies that we listed off here and this, I don't know if you want to call it a subgenre, but do you guys all agree that there is an important place for this style of film in our industry and in our genre? We get a 10 out of 10 out of that. Can I get an amen? No, it's important, man. Um, it's it's important just because of what I said a bit ago about just not limiting information. I mean, it's not information per se, but it is scenarios, especially these movies are scenarios that very well could happen. The, what makes them shocking is that they, they're very based in reality. So having them out, making people aware is better than keeping them naive, I do believe. Well said. And actually, that's very articulate and it makes us sound less like a bunch of psychopaths because we have touched on we have touched on some. Oh, my God, they watched what? There's Japanese men ejaculating on stage watching break. What? So uh, we're, we're not psychopaths, but I know humans are messed up. Man. I know a bunch of people who are psychopaths and that's the rest of the people on our podcast network, the PFPN. Let's hear from them. You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening. So now that we've heard from our podcast network, what are we up to? You got anything, Jason? I, I feel like I should just record something and we'll just play it every time it's my turn to talk. Is it, <laughs> it going to start? It's going to start like this. No. <laughs> I, I probably have stuff coming up, but I'm so last minute everything. Brian keeps me in line if there's something I'm supposed to be going to. Nothing I can think of. Can't wait to talk about convention season. I keep mentioning that every time. You're getting two weeks closer every time you hear me talk about this. But nope, nothing for me. What about you guys? I guess we should change Jason's part of this to what have you been up to? Because he can be like, oh, remember last time when I didn't have anything? I did go to this. You saw Halloween on the big screen for the first time in your life a couple days ago. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. I mean, you're not up to that, but you did do it. I mean, that's pretty cool. Thank you. That, that was good. Yeah, we went to uh, Cinemark was having Slash into spring. So I went and saw Halloween for the first time on the big screen. And it was it was awesome when it first started. And unfortunately, it started at 730, which is pretty freaking late for me. <laughs> Did you fall? You fell asleep? <laughs> no, but my head was nodding several times. And it was it was the ghost Michael ghost Bob scene. You know, when PJ Souls was, you know, and, and, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm nodding <laughs> off. You fell asleep at the first time of seeing your favorite film ever on the big screen. It was like 8, 8.30 at night. I'm not a machine. I can't just. <laughs> it's probably like the fourth time he watched it that day. Give the guy a break. <laughs> yeah, you got me there. The whole week leading up to it, I told my daughter, my daughter went with me, my 19-year-old daughter. I was like, oh my God, I really want to watch Halloween now. She was like, dad, just save it for Thursday. I'm like, okay, all right. <laughs> I was going to say that I'm kind of jealous of Jason because, you know, he must be well rested because he's always like, oh, I got nothing going on. I'm like, that dude must get some sleep. But it doesn't sound like you do because you're falling asleep in the theater watching Halloween on the big screen. I wasn't in the seats that vibrate me to death. So I was like, I should have. That would have kept me awake. But yeah, nope, nothing else going on unless 
Brian reminds me about it or Clint reminds me about it. I'm going to remind you about falling asleep watching Halloween. You're not going to live this one down. <laughs> it was a struggle. What do you got going on, Brian? You looking at your planner? Yeah, daylight savings time happens next weekend. Got that coming up. Yeah, that's a big deal. And then uh, I think the only other thing, I mean, St. Patrick's Day. And a guest spot on a podcast, Don and Ellie's podcast. I got that coming up. We're discussing my top 10 cannibal films. Um, I'm not sure when that'll be released. I found some really interesting ones that have kind of worked their way up my list. I asked a group of friends the other day. I was like, do I get in trouble if I put Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1, 2, and 3 on my list? But one's not first. Like I like 2 and 3 better than the first one just because of the comedy in them. But yeah, other than that, just prepping to go to Michigan here in April and hoping that it's not still snowing there because it's still snowing there now. Come on. We got blasted with a snowstorm Friday. The kids got out of school early. My day job, well, there was no power. It was a wreck. Yeah, there was like, we got like 10 inches of snow. It was nuts. Overnight, oh, wow. within 12 hours, 10 inches of snow. Boom. But we're feeling much better now. <laughs> so yeah, other than that, I not much going on. Working on a, I guess the big news is it can be announced because it's happening. The, the contracts are signed. The Orpheum Theater here in Gulfsburg. Um, Sounds like we're going to be showing a double feature of movies in October, October 14th. And we're going to be showing Dead Kids, which is known by strange behavior here in the United States. Famous here because it's set in Gullsburg, Illinois. It's set in the town I live in. To my knowledge, never been shown on a screen in this town. That's a big deal for me. And uh, my friend Matt Harding from Severn Films has been helping a lot to get the movie and get the rights and they're going to sponsor it. And it should be hopefully a big deal. And we're going to show a next of kin, which I've never seen, but it sounds like it pairs well. It's another Australian movie. So to be in October double feature, I think tickets are going to be like 10 bucks and should be a good time. So I know where I'll be October 14th. Well, and huge congratulations to you on that, Brian, because I know there's a lot of moving parts and different people involved and responsible for it, but you planted the seed and got this ball rolling and stuck with it. And um, I think it's a really cool thing that you're doing, man, to get that film showed in your hometown where that film was based upon. So very cool stuff. I tell people, oh, yeah. And they're like, what's it? Why? And I'm like, because it's set here. And they're like, no, it's not. Like, yes. In the trailer, you watch the trailer within the first 20 seconds. It's the small Midwestern town of Galesburg, Illinois, where nothing happens. And you're like, what the fuck? What? Yeah. <laughs> nice. So that should be a fun time. So I'm excited. It's it's a long ways away, but you know it'll be here before we know it. And it sounds like we're working on maybe some other uh, exciting stuff coming up in September. We'll see what happens there. Can't announce anything yet or anything, but some fun stuff coming up, hopefully. What about you, Clint? You got anything? Anything at all? The day this episode airs, uh, I don't know. I don't know if I do or not. I had a last minute chance to get in as a vendor with inkmirrors.com at Creature Feature Weekend in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania, which is March 16th, 17th, 18th. Let me, how does that work out? 17th, 18th, and 19th. I had an opportunity to get in and um, I blew it and I really want to go. So the promoter said, hey, we'll get a hold of you um, if there's a last minute opening. So there, there's a, a chance that I'll be there for that, but I don't think so. I am thinking about if I don't get in as a vendor about taking a, a one day trek there. It's like a seven and a half hour drive. But the guy who played Lionel in um, Dead Alive is going to be there signing. And he's got these uh, limited 3D printed lawnmower blades. There's only a hundred of them. They have notches and grooves and slime. And it says it says the movie on there and everything. And so I'm like, I might take the trek to go do that. Other than that, just getting ready for the rest of the conventions for the rest of this year. Wanting, I'm going to sit down and watch this movie that Brent talked about here. House on the Edge of the Park has my interest. So I'll be doing that within the next couple of weeks. 
Mr. Brent Edgett, cosplay, makeup artist extraordinaire, all-around handy film guy, very knowledgeable person. The hell do you got going on? Uh, nothing but cons going on right now. Just going to be prepping for that. I hit Anime Iowa up out here, generally in Iowa City. Uh, we did a horror group last year at that one. It didn't go over too well. <laughs> so um, it was at that show last year where I was just like, you know, I've really got to get my Art the Clown costume together because... I need to show these people what's up. And then obviously you guys saw me, saw me a flashback the first time I wore it out. I do plan on hitting up Anime Iowa this year, wearing my Art the Clown. Not the bloody version, a good clean version, but and just really getting in people's faces and messing with them. And you're like, oh, you don't like horror? <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, flashback, I'm going to try to get like a whole crew of like makeup effects people out with me because I plan on doing something like really done up and really... Really amazing. It should hopefully it turns a lot of heads and people like absolutely love it. I think they will because generally when I plan big like this, people are always just like, Whoa, it's cool. So we'll see. I'm looking forward to seeing all you guys then though. Absolutely. I'll be working the ink mayor's table. You just come to me if you need anything. I'm their number one seller. <laughs> I'll be running around hanging out with you while he's working my yeah, table. Yeah. So I don't imagine you guys will hit up anime Iowa, but definitely we'll get you at the other conventions and hopefully your Midwest monster fest goes over well and we'll have a good weekend with that again. I really do hope to spend a little more time with you guys this year. Definitely. Yeah. I wonder if you're, uh, if you're art, the art, the clown cosplay would go over better at an anime con. If you had the sunglasses, I will have them. It softens the image to me, you know. You know, I had a, I was wearing at least an Art the Clown T-shirt there, and there were a couple people who were like, "Oh, Art the Clown! I got a little Art the Clown thing," and I'm just like, "Oh, right on, right on." But it's like, nah, not enough of you know who Art the Clown is. Apparently, so I'm gonna do my part, freak people of Iowa out, <laughs> spread the spread the gospel. He's an apostle. Spread the word, yeah. And that's kind of like you know, I always kept Friday the Thirteenth alive around here with doing my Jason stuff because really, like I, I did it so many years before anyone ever knew who I was. Like I was always every year dressing up creating this big elaborate scene in the haunt so that i can just keep that character alive you know to not let kids forget about it and then luckily the game came out and you know, everything went from there now everyone loves jason absolutely everybody well at flashback this year i'm gonna try and get away and take a nap midday because i want to hang with art the clown afterwards and drink and party with him because it looked like he had a fucking good time I know. I was thinking, man, should I be doing that in costume or should I be doing it in person so I can actually talk to these people? But if the makeup's on point, it holds together. I'll probably do that again. You you looked you looked miserable at breakfast the next day, but you know <laughs> you you made it through. <laughs> Tough times, man. I don't know why I put myself to this punishment. <laughs> it sounds like if Jason's going to take a nap, that probably means he's going to be watching Halloween somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween ends, right? So, Brent, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, where we can find you, where we can keep up with all your fun antics? Right. On. Well, everything I everything I do fun uh, can be found on my Instagram handle uh, at Gorgalor. Uh, no e at the end. So that's at G O R E G A L O R. And I'm generally posting my cosplay stuff and any any projects I'm working on stuff gets posted there, but just kind of on a downtime right now. Convention season, look forward to getting all the goods posted there. Well, we want to thank our guests again. Special effect, movies, cosplay, good looks, great voice. What, do, what doesn't this guy do? <laughs> I know, right? Thanks, guys. It's always a pleasure being here. Definitely. You're a honorary spooky boy. Not sure what that entails, but you're in. Oh, it's because I like it spooky. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yes, yes. <laughs> Mem- memberships cards coming in the mail. All right, right on, right on. <laughs> so thanks for being on, Brent. 
Don't forget to check out the I Like a Spooky Horror podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. Make sure you challenge yourself and watch something shocking. Hey, what's wrong with you, man? Show some fucking respect for the dead, will ya?